here's the thing. The intention was always to say that if Vin ever does it again, if you become this carbon copy of Vin, then Vin is going to be like, well, why would I ever want to do a movie with a dude who basically <laughs> came in with deep voices and just all of the things that kind of represent the blueprint of Diesel? Right. Yeah. And so when we ended up doing Fast Five and we all came back together for the first time, Vin quickly on the first day of filming realized that the, the, the Roman Pierce energy is a contributor to the franchise versus you stepped in to replace me and now I don't know how to exist with you. Somebody just walk me through what we're supposed to be doing. Come on, Rome, this is your plan. You got to embrace it. Oh, this was not my plan. Roman, you need some fresh air? Because you're about to get a whole lot of it. Ask any podcaster, any real podcaster. It doesn't matter if you record in person or over video chat. Podcasting's podcasting. Welcome back to EW's Binge of the Fast Saga, full transcripts of which are available on EW.com. I'm Derek Lawrence, a.k.a. the guy who went as Dominic Toretto for two straight Halloweens. And as that icon once said, the most important thing in life will always be the people in this Zoom, right here, right now. And for me, that's the Dom to my Brian, the Letty to my Mia, the Roman to my Tej, the Giselle to my Han, Chanel Berlin Johnson. Chanel, Furious 7 Part 2. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Uh, We've already had a lot of emotions getting to talk through it with Michelle, but we got even more on deck, y'all. So take a breath. We got to dive back in. (laughs) Yes. As as Chanel mentioned, so on part one of uh, our Furious 7, I guess, uh, duo episodes, we had uh, Michelle Rodriguez, Letty Yourself. Oh, she she was so incredible. Please, Mm -hmm. if there's one interview of these that I would recommend going and watching the actual video of, it would be of the Michelle chat. She was just moving all around, getting so excited. She want, she did a Thor pose, like kind of like <laughs> yeah. at one point. Um, she was just such incredible, like as good as you could hope for and as you would imagine Michelle Rodriguez would be. So definitely go check that one out. But here you are about to listen to Tyrese Gibson, Roman Pierce himself. Um, obviously someone who's been with this franchise, uh, since too fast. And, you know, has, has been through it all. And, you know, obviously we're going to talk a lot about his relationship with Paul Walker going back to Too Fast since, you know, Furious 7, there's so many things about this movie. You know, we love it for so many reasons, but it's really because of its significance in saying goodbye to Paul and to mm-hmm. the character of Brian O'Connor, right? So that's, you know, that came up on the Michelle episode. It's going to come up a lot here in this Tyrese ep- uh, episode. But was there anything else, uh, Chanel, that you were kind of really excited to talk to uh, Tyrese about? I, I'm just in general. I mean, honestly, with both of them, like Michelle, huge fan, pretty much my entire like life almost. Uh, she's so badass. Uh, it was an, just a joy to talk to her. And then Tyrese, like Too Fast and Furious was my favorite in the franchise until Fast Five happened. So to get to talk to the person who was like obviously a huge part of that and, uh, you know, stepped into this character that's become so important to the energy and the humor of the franchise was really great. Um, and, and yeah, both of them too, just so heartfelt in the way that they talk about Paul Walker. And so that was, you know, amazing to be able to share. Like they don't know us. We're just two people who feel like all these emotions from afar and for them to share their time and, and their, uh, just heartfelt words was really nice. Yeah, with both of them, you know, you could feel that emotion anytime the conversation ended up around Paul 
um, and around what happened to him and, you know, Fury 7. Um, it, it was tough. It, you know, it's uh, I can only imagine. It's tough for us talking about it just as fans. So I can only imagine for them. So we really appreciate um, them doing so and like going to those places that I'm sure uh, aren't easy. Um, so there's a lot of that with, with Tyrese. But also, I was just fascinated. We kind of got the history of Roman really throughout yeah. this episode. You know, we're, we're t- we talked about his introduction to the world, kind of the the struggle maybe for him to get back in the series mm-hmm. after Too Fast. Um, that was fascinating. And then just the continued evolution of that character. So, th- so there's a lot to get into on this, uh, Tyrese episode. So, so let's do that now. But again, reminder, go back, check out part one with Michelle. Um, I mean, go back, go back and check out all seven parts <laughs> yeah. before this. You know, we've, we're now on Furious Seven. So we've done, uh, you know, six movies before this. So there's a lot of content for you to go listen to over on the binge fast saga feed. So do that. Um, but now we'll hop into our conversation with Tyrese stay tuned at the end. As usual, we'll hand out some uh, awards and Fury seven definitely deserves some awards. Now, why would you trust us? You barely know us. I know enough. (sighs) Ex cop military, something like that. The way you took out them guys shows training tech guy offended by the hacker remark. Naturally (laughs) alpha. Mrs. Alpha. Joker. Wrong. Double Alpha. Man candy. You know what I'm saying? Man, sit your candy (laughs) ass down. We're hungry to talk Furious 7, and thankfully Tyrese Gibson's here to fill us up. Tyrese, welcome to our binge of Fast and Furious. My man, thank you for having me. How are you? Doing great. I mean, doing great... Doing great anytime we can talk uh, Fast and Furious, especially Furious 7. Uh, such an incredible movie, so we're excited to talk to you about it. Um, we, we've been starting all these off, you know, Dominic Toretto once said, you know, he lives his life a quarter mile at a time. You know, for those 10 seconds or less, he's free. So for you, how would you summarize Furious 7 in, in 10 seconds? Beautiful, inspirational, and painful. Yeah, that, that's it right there. I feel I feel like as as you know, obviously for you guys that was it, and for us fans that that feel, feels like the same thing. When you obviously there's a lot going on with Fury Seven, but like when you think Fury Seven, like what's the first thing that comes to mind for you when thinking back on that on that film? Well, I mean, I have more bad memories than good, man, um, because all of the fun and all of the magic that we had going uh, before Paul Walker's untimely death was. Um, you know, the the trauma of losing him superseded all of the fun and magic that we were experiencing before. Going back a few, obviously, years before Furious 7, what was it that initially drew you to uh, to Roman Pierce and the Fast and Furious world? People don't know this, but, or maybe they do. I think it's public knowledge. They couldn't make a deal with Ben for him to do the sequel. And then once they couldn't make a deal with Ben, that's when the director, Rob Cohen, kind of fell off because they did part one as a duo. And so I got blessed by default. You know, it was kind of, I was just, I said, man, I'll do this shit for per diem. Like, I, I don't, like, it was my second movie. I did Baby Boy and I did Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, and so even back when we did part two, I never watched part one. Wow. Because I was like, so I'm quote unquote stepping in to this opportunity that was supposed to be for Ben. And if I had watched part one, then I would have probably found myself trying to tap into 
whatever he had did in part one. And I wanted to bring my own thing to part two. And so we came up with, you know, you're going to be funny because Ben wasn't funny. Um, and we said, we're going to have Roman Pierce eating everything at all times. <laughs> and then we came up with, you know, the humor and the, the, the comedy and the funny and the punchlines. And we really wanted to, and here's the thing. The intention was always to say that if Vin ever does it again, if you become this carbon copy of Vin, then Vin is going to be like, well, why would I ever want to do a movie with a dude who basically came in with deep voices and just all of the things that kind of represent the blueprint of Diesel? Right. Yeah. And so when we ended up doing Fast Five and we all came back together for the first time, then quickly on the first day of filming realized that the, the, the Roman Pierce energy is a contributor to the franchise versus you stepped in to replace me and now I don't know how to exist with you. And Paul Walker, man, I mean, I, I get emotion when I think about this guy for damn near three movies. He kept begging and pleading and trying to talk to the studio and directors and then well we got to get Tyrese back we got to get Tyrese back because I did part two and I wasn't in three I wasn't in four and then I finally came back for five I think ultimately what we all know is that this franchise is really about the fans I mean, you've now played Roman for, you know, five, six movies. What, what's that kind of evolution process been like? I'm sure, you know, obviously you don't want to just, you know, run back the same things each time with the character. So what, what's it been like for you for, you know, almost 20 years playing this character and like keep adding new little, you know, things for him? To be honest with you, man, for one, I don't watch the movies. Um, so it's really hard for me to do another one and then find myself trying to kind of duplicate what I did in the last three. Like, oh, you know, where I'm about to do Roman Pierce again, so let me <laughs> go ahead and study what I've done and make sure that I'm staying. So right. everything feels fresh to me. You know, I obviously have watched the movies, but, you know, when you go and when it's time for the movies to come out, you're doing seven, eight premieres in seven, eight different countries. You'll sit there, you'll watch 20, 30% of each movie, gets bits and pieces. And then once the movie is released and the world is going crazy, we might pop up at a couple of theaters to surprise the fans. And then I don't really watch them after that. Um, you know, it's, 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 for, it's for public consumption at that point. It belongs to you. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really study what I've done um, so every time I do another one, it feels fresh. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, getting into, you know, Furious 7, what do you remember being most excited about? Like, you know, you obviously you guys were on a roll and then it's time for Furious 7. Like you get that script or you talk with, you know, James Wan or Vin or whoever. Do you remember like what you were most excited about uh, going into Furious 7? Well, I just remember like always while we're on the set making another one or, or kind of ramping up wardrobe fittings and just kind of running into all of these people that you've been working with what seems like forever you know same head of wardrobe same assistants same studio executives and and so you're just kind of doing these lunches and dinners and 
you know, and it's just like, holy shit, man, we're still doing this. <laughs> um, so I remember that feeling uh, when we did Furious 7. Um, um, I remember I went and had a meeting with James Wan, and I really wanted to sit him down in a real way and just say to him, look, man, don't ever repeat this, but these are all of the people. Here are all of the characters. Here's all of the politics and backstories. When somebody does this, this is what it means. When somebody says this, look out for that. And I had a Phil Jackson moment with him, and I'm sure Juan <laughs> will confirm it, where I had to pull him into the huddle and really break some shit down and say, this is what this world is, and this is what you're doing, and this is what this is what's happening. That's kind of what I remember about um, the beginning of Furious 7 pertaining to my process. I'm sure James appreciated that. A lot of pressure coming in after, you know, what Justin did on those first four films. So I'm sure he uh, was already feeling the pressure. So I'm sure he appreciated that talk. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you remember like reading the script? Something that I, as a fan, we're always like excited to see where it's like the next level that you guys go to in the stunts. Do you remember like reading like that plane scene blew my mind, like just seeing it the first time when you look at that on paper, you guys like, oh, how are y'all going to pull this off with us? Well, the crazy thing is, you know, those scripts are just so difficult to read. I have people that read scripts for me and give me a full breakdown of the script. And then I'm able to get in there and fully focus on the things that I'm supposed to do and the things that I think are corny and goofy and don't make sense. And nah, I would never say that, I would never do that. And so what happens is when they send me the script, I have this thing called a PDF ripper. Because it's always sent to me as a PDF. So I'm able to rip all the words from the whole script off of the PDF and I'm able to drag all the words from the script into final draft. And I make all of my changes for what I would actually say and what I would actually do. And, and I also could give other characters that I have scenes with in the movie responses. Oh, that's great. Certain things that I do and say. And then I send it to them and I say, instead of me trying to make all of these changes on the set while hundreds of millions of dollars is being spent, <laughs> I'm making all my requests now. And then when I get the new script, I see all of the changes that I made added. And then everything else happens on the fly, as improv, on the set. And um, because another thing that happens with me is I get to the set. I'm like, okay, so this is the car. And my it's very impulsive. Like, okay. So you come in and go where? You get in the car with me, and I'm able to listen to everything that we're supposed to do, even though I read it. And that's where I find the funny. That's where I discover the humor. That's where, like that line, where did, you know, when you gonna give Martin Luther King his car back <laughs> or his jacket back, that happened from me seeing how old the car was, you know? and. Yeah. That that could have never been written, you know. It's just it's it all happens impulsively and instinctively in the movie. No, 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 no. Listen, man, they telling me they party like this every day on this level. They party every day. This is crazy. I might have to move out here. I think I'm gonna start a new culture. It's called Blarab. You know, like Black Arab.
perhaps no uh, franchise or set of films does, you know, adds new pieces like you guys do. Yeah, I mean, you were probably the first one, you know what I mean? Too fast, you know, you come in, Luda comes in, and then, you know, on down the line, whether it's Gal or, you know, Sung or Dwayne. On this one, it was Statham, you know, who you'd worked with on, on Death Race. Um, and obviously, like, he, you know, adds, you know, so, some uh, real gravitas, too, to the film here. What do you love about kind of throwing Statham in the mix, uh, starting with this one? Yeah, I love Jason. And, you know, I think me and Jason really got to know each other um, while promoting Death Race. And we also had a lot of fun on the set of Transformers 3 because he was popping up all the time to be with his girl Rosie. So um, that's when I really caught a great vibe with him. So when everything about him coming in was was exciting for me because, you know, I know him. Uh, I think he's a good man. Um, he's funny as hell. And we always have fun whenever we're around each other. Talking to everybody, it seems like with you working with Jason, in Death Race and then seeing him on Transformers 3, but also like you had worked with Justin Lin on Annapolis and Jordana was in that movie. And Sung told us the other day that he, when he booked Tokyo Drift, um, that he, you know, ran into Jason Salem and like mentioned like, oh, I'm, you know, in this movie. And he was like, oh, that's crazy. Like you're gonna be in Tokyo Drift. And then they end up, you know, in this franchise later, Jason, Jason joins it. Does it feel in a way to you guys ever, like it's kind of faded that you guys kind of ended up in each other's world and like knowing each other at all? Um, there are all these little connections and suddenly everybody's coming together in this franchise that's now become so huge. I think for me, my appreciation is being able to say that it wasn't, hi, nice to meet you, and now we're working on something this big um, and this expensive. Um, and, you know, I I had never worked with The Rock uh, before Fast Five, um, but us meeting each other cold turkey on the set, he, you know, he's a good guy. And all we do is laugh and crack jokes and have fun. And, um, and that's kind of, you know, there's only so many people that I've worked with that I didn't know um, or have didn't didn't meet prior to being on the set. You know, so it's been it's been very interesting. I feel like here on in Fury Seven, it it sets up you you and Ludacris as Roman and Tej already had a great you know dynamic going all the way back to two, but then you throw you know Natalie as Ramsey in the mix, and the last two films that you guys have had a lot of fun with kind of that you know quote unquote love triangle. What have you liked about kind of you know playing around with, with those two and kind of having you know this this really fun dynamic? I love it, man. I mean, Roman in this world of fast, man, Roman has been single for 18 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when are you going to see my family? When, when it, you know, if I live in Barstow, then is, is anybody ever going to meet my mom? Right, right. <laughs> anybody ever going to see my brothers, sisters, family? You know, what, when, it, when does Roman get a little backstory? So I, uh, it's been cool to finally have a girl in the mix that we can kind of fight and argue over our little banter. Um, but I, I think Ludacris got the girl. Um, I think I think Ludacris ultimately pulled off Natalie because um, at this point he he's not really a uh, he's not uh, we we kind of lost the humor between me and Chris and he's kind of made a pivot. Um, at his, at his request, I believe, 
Uh, he's kind of made a pivot into being more into the gadget mm-hmm. tech world. And and so I'm, I, I've been having to pull whatever humor and funny and energy I can from just all that I'm working with. You know, I got to look at a random water bottle and find something funny in it. And um, yeah, I miss the banter. I miss all the funny. But yeah, these missions that we're on right now, Chris is kind of, you know, he's he's in front of the computer and he's saying all these big fancy words and he's kind of he's made a pivot. And and thank God they gave him that dialogue. I swear, <laughs> man. I I'll be listening to some of that shit he gotta say and I'll be like, bro, I I can't even remember a half a paragraph, let alone trying to memorize all that stuff that goes with this technical stuff that he has to now say someone's got to do a better him than you uh for sure uh i mean you mentioned you know paul earlier and you know him fighting for you to you know come back through you know until it happened in fast five what was it like you know you guys obviously worked so closely on too fast beginning was was that connection just instant between you guys i mean on screen it, it seems like it. you guys are just immediately had such a great dynamic did did it feel pretty instant once you guys got together and connected it did man I mean, Paul, Paul really felt vulnerable after making the decision to proceed without Ben, you know. So it was it was like whatever the, the original movie and the original experience was, Paul had never envisioned that he would be doing. A, none of them imagined that they would be doing a sequel, let alone doing a sequel without the original director and, and co-star. So when I got to the set. Me and John Singleton, rest in peace, at just did Baby Boy, and he gave me my first gig, and then I set up John Singleton to direct Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, you know, and I remember John kept saying to me, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make Paul feel safe, you know, where it's really going to feel like a two-hander. It's never going to feel like it's about you or it's just about him. And so it was all speaking to Paul's vulnerabilities where he didn't want to be number one on the call sheet, but somehow feel like number five. And everything about us and our banter and, and our true collaboration with Too Fast, Too Curious, it, it was a plan that we came up with. Like, yo, you know, I don't want to upstage you. You're not on a mission to upstage me. Like, this shit is really about us, like, saying, some way, somehow, there's a sequel to this thing. And how about we just do the best we can to make it great? Now, the movie might come out and it may bomb because they wanted to see Ben and Paul and not my black ass. But um, ultimately, we came into it and we said, bro, I got you. I got your back. And if I feel like there's a scene that we could have did better or if you're if you got a punchline or you got an action scene. I'm going to look at it. You look at it. If I'm ever in a place where we could have did it better, let's just look out for each other and make sure. So Paul, Paul and my relationship from that point on, it doesn't matter how many we did together after he knows that I was the answer to his vulnerabilities. That's beautiful. That reminds me of, uh, I notice in all of the movies kind of going on from Too Fast, like there's always an effort to sort of touch base with the friendship between Brian and Roman in that way. Um, is that something that you guys talked about with each movie? Like, how do we keep this 
this connection, even if it's small, because like obviously you said like you and the Tej character like became sort of one and two, like in how you interacted, but there was still that connection to Brian um, and to Paul. Is that something that you guys talked about with each movie, just touching back on that? Yeah, well, what there, here's the thing. Each character in the fast world, we call it real estate, right? And my real estate and Paul's real estate there's nothing and no one that could ever be what we are to each other. There's nobody that can come in and try and step into the lane and do anything that ties into the symmetry of the real estate between Vin and Paul, between Paul and Jordana. There's no, you can't put another man with Jordana and have anybody to step in and have anything that feels like the real estate and chemistry that they had between each one of these characters. And there's literally been dialogue and lines where if I'm honest with myself, I would say that sounds like some shit that Dom would say to Brian. Roman wouldn't say that to Dom. And you gotta be clear about your message, your dialogue and your real estate. I would never do that. That sound, that seems like something that such and such would do to such and such character. You got to be able to like watch it and monitor it and be clear about it. And you got to be secure in your skin that even if it's the best action scene and you wish you can get some of that real estate that doesn't belong to you, that's not for you. That's not your lane. That's not your real estate. And and when you find yourself trying to force yourself into somebody else's real estate, using somebody else's lines or dialogue or doing scenes that belong to somebody else, the fans that's watching the movie are going to say that was an awkward moment because they've mastered these characters. And if you are in tune with what you're supposed to be saying and doing, then you ain't got to worry about ever making a pivot into a lane that that's not your lane. Like, you know, in Furious 7, when we were around that table and I kept talking about like, why every time... You know, why Why you lead? Why you always got, you know, I'm tired of blah, blah, blah. He said, okay, Roman. Well, I, well, I, was, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking about doing that now. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to, not trying to really jump into that. Thing. I was just saying, I was just speaking up. So it's like, that's what happens. I want, I want real estate from Ben Diesel or Dominic Toretto. And if you're going to jump into that real estate, then are you prepared to carry that torch. And here I am asking for that real estate. And then when he said, okay, Roman, I got cold feet and back out. <laughs> all I'm saying is, I'm tired of everybody around me making all the decisions. This time, I lead. Seriously. If I don't start making decisions, I'm out. All right, Roman. What do you got? I mean, I wouldn't trying to get into the whole leadership thing like now, you know what I'm saying? I'm just kind of talking about like at some point, like, you know, when we, whatever. I mean, I think, let's hit it from here. I don't think that that's- No, 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 don't think. That's my job. One of, one of my favorite scenes in the movie by far. All right, we're taking a quick detour, but we'll be right back with more. 
Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Now they're all gassed up. We're driving right back into the interview. When I asked you to sum up the movie at the top, obviously, you know, pain was one of, you know, painful was one of the things you mentioned. And obviously, you know, that comes from, you know, unfortunately what happened with Paul. So what was it like once you guys got back into filming, you know, after Paul had passed and you guys were on this mission to finish this film? I mean, the first thing that all of us were struggling with was what the hell are we doing here? (laughs) You know, like what's fast and the fear is without Paul. Are we going to come off as just a bunch of narcissists that's like, you know, moving and proceeding and just deciding that whatever Paul is and whatever he meant to the franchise, are we going to appear to be a bunch of people that's going to say, like, you know, we're, we're moving forward anyway. So we had to become each other's therapist um, because if you lose someone and you put it up on social media or the word gets out that you lost someone, you don't want to hear from everybody. You want to hear from the people that knew him the most. So we were always at each other's houses. We were always on calls. We made sure that we were there for each other in a real way. And it hit us all very, very differently. Um, my trauma was immediate, but my trauma was also delayed because I'm such a, a giver. I'm such a nurturer. I went out of my way to make sure that everybody was okay, which created kind of a delayed PTSD situation for me because it wasn't that he died. It was the way he died. And if you know him, and love him the way we did, then you would understand that there's a lot of really bad people in the world. And if they're going to die, you'd be like, man, that must have been karma for someone to die that way. But there is nothing about Paul as a bad person on any level that would allow for you to say if someone's going to pass away, then they're going to pass away and they're going to pass away this way. It, it, it took the trauma of the loss to a whole nother stratosphere. And I almost had to put my feelings and my thoughts to the side, put a pause button on it and just go make sure that everybody was okay. His daughter, brothers, father, mom, you know, Ben and Michelle. I was just like constantly calling and checking on everyone and, Always, I mean, I would be, it felt like I was at Ben's house for days, days upon days, weeks upon weeks. And until my instinct says that Ben was okay, only then that I arrive at feeling like at this point, I can now mourn the loss. That makes a lot of sense. Kind of, you know, hard to make a, you know, turn from that, but kind of getting towards the end here, we'll just uh, wrap up with a few, uh, what we call the the final lap or a few uh rapid-fire, uh, fast questions. Um, we'll start off, you know, Furious 7, you guys have obviously so many incredible people in there, but if you could take 
If you could add in another actor to Furious 7, not take anybody's place, whether it's an actor you always wanted in the franchise, or maybe it's a character from the other films that wasn't in Furious 7, is there someone that you would have loved to see in Furious 7, or just in Fast in general? I've been campaigning for years now to bring Matt Damon in. Oh, that would be good. You know, he's a part of the Universal uh, family from the Bourne franchise, and um, I've been I've been talking about Matt Damon forever. Um, I know there were some conversations about Denzel Washington coming, which would have been uh, obviously the high of all highs for me because I wouldn't be here as an actor if it wasn't for Denzel. I don't know. There are certain people that have the vibrations and the energy and the star power that could contribute to Fast. I'm grateful to Ben because in the world of Fast and the Furious, you know, Ben's got all the power. And as we have the Charlize Theron's and Jason Statham's and Shyman Huntsu's and all of these people, you know, they got to go run all this shit by Ben. He's the one that has to say, I'm okay with rocking with them. And in a lot of cases, you know, even Paul will tell you, um, Ben is behind the scenes making sure that people could actually finalize their deals. Because, uh, you know, he'll make a phone call into the studio and they'll be like, yo, I don't think we're going to be able to make this deal. It's getting too expensive or whatever that might be. And Ben will make some phone calls and, and kind of nudge people into finalizing their deals. Um, and so, you know, he doesn't get credit for all the work that he does behind the scenes. But yeah, um, so I, I just I hope that um, I hope that we can continue opening up the door to let other folks in um, because, you know, the franchise belongs to the world. And um, I think we've done a great job, very strategic of kind of pulling in people from Europe, pulling in people from this country, that country. You know, Gal Gadot's from Israel, and um, we've just done a, a, a great job of diversifying and making sure that people can go to this movie and see somebody in the movie that, that represents them or their region or their country or their religion or their nationality. And um, I know everybody's on the diversity train, but FAST has been diverse for 20 years. Yeah, just naturally built in, which has been... Uh, uh, amazing. I actually, you talking about uh, your back, the character's backstory, Roman's backstory made me wonder something we've asked people is like, if you could do a spinoff, what would it be? What would be your spinoff for Roman Pierce? Would it be going to see the family or would it be something else? Roman and Tej has always been the rumor, right? That's always been, you know, sitting out there for maybe one day. Yeah. Well, there was a conversation about, there was multiple conversations about a Roman and Tej spinoff, but I, I kept turning it down because, you know, truth is, I just didn't, I didn't want to make the franchise about me. Everybody kind of brings their elements and their real estate to the table. And so doing a spinoff with Roman and Tej, we won't have Dominic's character to bounce off of. We won't have these other things to, to bounce off of. Wrapping up, obviously we're all super excited for, for Fast 9. I mean... That trailer, you know, that first trailer, I, I know it blew my mind. I know all the fans were, were losing it over so many of the reveals. Um, but what would what would be your tease of Fast 9? Like, what when we finally get this movie, uh, what are fans, what should fans expect? The first and only word that comes to mind, there's going to be a level of maturity for Fast 9 that people have never experienced. 
there's going to be some vulnerabilities um, that the fans have never experienced. Outside of the action and kind of the creativity and innovation, I mean, Justin Lin is a monster with doing what it is that he do, but there's just going to be a lot of stuff that that people are going to see from our characters and our maturity um, and our vulnerabilities that people have never seen before. Um, I mean, the fact that Dom and, um, you know, his brother, it's like, well, what happens when your brother come around? You know, that's a, that's a vulnerability and a place that you have never seen Don Toretto go. You've never seen him feel those feelings because his brother ain't been around. We call ourselves brothers, but I'm not, I'm not his brother. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. That's like one of the many things we're excited about with Fast 9. Well, again, Tyrese, you know, thank you so much for joining us and uh, going through Furious 7. It's like I said, it's a a great movie. So, and I know sometimes a tough one to talk about. So we appreciate you, uh, you doing that with us. No problem. I used to say I lived my life a quarter mile at a time. And I think that's why we were brothers. Because you did too. No matter where you are, whether it's a quarter mile away or halfway across the world, you'll always be with me. Thank you again to both Michelle Rodriguez and Tyrese Gibson. Even eight years later, I know it's not easy to revisit such a you know painful period in their lives. So I appreciate them being so open and raw with us and looking back on on Furious 7. Um, now, you know, no easy transition, but like on all, all episodes, let's have some fun and, and pick some award winners. Chanel, where are we starting? We start with our uh, old favorite, which is, as Brian says in Fast 1, if I win, I take the money and the respect. To some people, that's more important. So, well, he won Dom's respect, but it's now time for us to decide who wins our respect for Furious 7. I mean, it's it's a tough one to tackle. What do you think, Derek? I think I, I think you agree with me on this. I think it's everyone involved. I mean, any yeah. any any person that helped make Furious Seven has my respect forever. Like the the fact that they pulled this off, I still can't believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that's working against them, not just you know um, dealing with the emotion of that tragedy of losing Paul, but then they're like, okay, we're going to move forward and actually finish this. Okay, that's one thing. Then. To be able to actually come up with a good idea that makes sense. That's, okay, now, wow, we're impressive so far. Yeah. And then to actually go out and execute that in a way where you sit there and watch the movie. Okay, maybe maybe there's a scene here or there where you're like, okay, like, Paul's not really here. This is, you know, some special effects. The You know, they used his brothers, you know, mm-hmm. as stand-ins. Um, but for the most part, you're never really thinking that. And then, as I said earlier, like, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've watched that final scene. Like it's, it probably is my most viewed scene in film history. Like it's, I don't know if I'm like a glutton for punishment, but that's the thing. It doesn't even feel like, you don't even feel sad. I mean, you do, mm-hmm. but like, you're kind of just have like a smile and you're just like happy as you watch that. You're just glad to see Paul. You're glad to see Brian. And man, I mean, that's, I mean, that was Dom, that's Vin Diesel talking to Paul Walker, that, that mm-hmm. last scene really, right? That's, that's not uh, Dom talking to Brian. Um, so the miracle of just that scene and then the whole movie itself even existing and being finished, that's just, that's credit and respect to everyone with a special shout out to James Wan. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I fully agree. I think, you know, on top of that, too, to be able to pivot what the ending was or how the movie wraps up because they had shot some of it, but not a bunch of other parts, um, is they also in figuring out how to just tie this movie up, have to do it in a way that's satisfactory for fans, too, because they know they have a fan base who loves this person who is all who like we're all also grieving in our own way. Um, And it's so much pressure, but they it really lives up to it. Like I like I said, you know, um, earlier, I cried <laughs> watching that last scene. And it is just like a strange mix of emotions because it's a goodbye to the character who lives on. And it's really beautiful and and heartfelt in that way and kind of um like a graduation for Brian, even though at the same time in your mind, you like, you know why this is happening. So it's overwhelming in a great way because it's like who knew what to expect going into seeing this movie how you would feel about it how well they could pull it off and they do such a beautiful job and it holds up on every rewatch too so yeah respect to everyone involved and to to uh james wan for coming into this franchise and expecting one experience and then getting thrown something that no one could have imagined yeah, no, I I can't even imagine how how he did that. And, and you know, to your point of you you sitting there crying, I I cried the first time. Probably what really speaks to how incredible this ending is and what a great job they did is the second time I went to see this, I went with my brothers who are big fans of Fast, then I went with my sister, my younger sister who had never seen one Fast movie. And wow. you know, the the final season pl- uh scene plays, the cuts to credits, lights come on. I look at her sitting next to me she was bawling like her her mascara was running like it was just she was i've never seen her cry so much in in her whole life and i said she had never seen one movie so like when you can have that impact Mm -hmm. like that that kind of just speaks volumes and says you know everything you need to so literally every single person involved with fury seven all our respects yeah next up quote of the week um, I mean, I, we could have just speaking of the, that final scene, we could have just gone probably with the whole final Dom monologue after yeah. Brian pulls up next to him. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll not include that just because it's uh it's so long. But what what are what are the other options we're looking at on, under best quote? There are some good ones like this movie, even though it's like has this sort of heaviness to it because of what happens with uh, Paul Walker, like it's still full of humor, adventure, fun. So um, there are lines like. Uh, Would you believe I knocked him out with my charm? You ain't that charming, bitch. Would you believe I knocked him out with my charm? You ain't that charming, bitch. The Rock, of course, saying, Daddy's got to go to work. Always good. Um, The thing about street fights, the streets always win. Uh, I don't have have friends. I have family. Classic, classic line. Um, I also love, obviously, from that plane scene, which is you know, as they continue to up the ante and sort of the stunts, uh, Ted saying, Roman, you need some fresh air because you're about to get a whole lot of it without telling him (laughs) what exactly they're about to do. Uh, And then, of course, you know, The Rock again with another great line. Um, Well, first, uh, Letty asks, like, did you bring the cavalry? And he says, woman, I am the cavalry, which just plenty of of, of lines throughout. I don't don't actually know if I have a favorite. It might be the cavalry line just because it's so iconically Luke Hobbs, like The Rock it's like at this hero moment right in the middle of this intense chase sequence. Uh, that might be it for me if I'm not choosing the Dom uh, words to, to Paul Bryan at the end. Yeah, it's um, it's a tough one. I think this is, might be the deepest uh, field we've had of this category yet. And um, I don't know, like the daddy's got to go to work in like woman I am the cavalry just on paper. 
like those probably wouldn't belong, but it's just the way mm-hmm. The Rock delivers them and just totally nails that. And like you said, it's kind of like peak who Luke Hobbs is and kind of fits that character and what we've seen in those last two movies so well. Um, I think for me, the top two would be Daddy's got to go to work. And it's because that's also aided, right? Because he literally flexes out of the cast, yeah, right? Like yeah. you can't, you can't not uh, hear that line and think of him just flexing out of the cast. Like, iconic and then i don't have friends i got family like that's again that's almost like sums up the whole franchise right there mm-hmm. um so those will probably be the top two for me but like you said like i feel like you couldn't go wrong with any of these and it's highlights you know what do we have like five or six different characters just you know highlighted in those uh yeah. so kind of everyone gets like a great line at least one in the movie mm-hmm. uh, yeah i also had one that just occurred to me not even a line but a like a series of lines is when Ramsey sort of describing everybody in the group, like very memorable all the time. Cause she, she nails it. <laughs> yeah, totally nails it. Totally nails it. Sorry, sorry, Roman, you are not uh double, <laughs> yeah. double alpha. Um, what, uh, so next up we go to which Oscars should fast have been nominated for and just pulling back the curtain. This is the movie that inspired this as a category on, mm-hmm. on the show, right? Because mm-hmm. it's insane. That See You Again, as you said in the intro on the Michelle episode, is now iconic, did not win Best Original Song. It didn't yeah. even get nominated. That's, yeah. that's, I can't even wrap my head around that. But the fact that it didn't win is insane in its own right. Like this is, not only was this perfect for, you know, the movie and for that ending. And like, I can't even imagine another song there. Like, this thing was a smash hit. Like, it was like, I remember literally writing up on EW.com when it hit like 2 billion views on YouTube, like the music video. Mm-hmm. So, it's got everything going for it. And it doesn't even get a nomination. I'm pretty sure, I'm not even going to look it up. I think like, this might have been Adele's James Bond song one this year, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Because uh, I feel like I remember being appalled over that, which mm-hmm. I would have been appalled no matter who won. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, that's, and again, the visual effects probably should have been another winner. Like what they, as we just mentioned in the respect category, like what they pulled off and what they needed to do with special effects, they had to really kind of almost invent special effects for this film um, and and nothing there either. So like, this is, I just don't get it. I just don't, I don't get it, Chanel. It's incredible. I mean, even just going back, like there were, I remember all the articles being like, uh, the Oscars snubbed See You Again, like completely. It's, it's, what were they thinking? I mean, there have been plenty of reasons for people to ask who is able to like put together these nominations and vote on these things, but they got that super wrong (laughs) and everybody should feel bad about it still. Um, another thought I had though is that I remember also there were reports that originally they had tried to go to Eminem to do the song for this movie, but he, turned it down. And we all know, of course, Eminem did win the Oscar before for original song. I wonder if it had been him, who knows what the song would have sounded like, like how different it would have been. But does he get the nomination for being Eminem for being this because Fast uh, 7 or Fury 7 becomes such a huge moment? That's interesting to think about, but also just makes it more unfair (laughs) that they snub it because it's not attached to people they had given awards to before. Uh, That's a great point, too, because we know they were 
clearly won an Eminem back at the Oscars since what was it uh, just two years ago? For some reason, we decided that we needed that lose yourself performance right. um, at the Oscars that, uh, you know, Marty Scorsese uh, definitely was a huge fan of if we remember th- those gifts. But yeah, it's uh, that's an interesting thing because I mean, obviously, I'm glad I- I've liked a lot of Eminem's music and I'm a fan of his, but I, I don't know that that would have fit mm-hmm. um, this Charlie Puth and Wiz Khalifa just ended up being the perfect combination. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess obviously like Charlie Puth was now he's a, he's a pretty big star, but he was basically an unknown at, yep. at this point, right? Wiz Khalifa was pretty established, but definitely not for Oscar voters. Like they, mm-hmm. you know, me and you knew who Wiz Khalifa was, but they, but they didn't. So they hadn't yeah, black and yellow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Clearly not. So yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great point by you, but still, you know, I don't care. This could have been, this song could have been made by me and you and it should have won an Oscar. Yeah. So like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't really know, uh, what to say more about that. So yeah, not only should we have gotten some nominations on this one, this should have been an Oscar win. And that's, and on some of these, people could probably say we're stretching right in the past where we're like, come on, like Sung Kang wasn't going to get nominated for best supporting actor. Like, let's be real. Like, mm-hmm. and sh- sure, that's fine. We could say that we think he deserves it, but like, yeah, that was never going to happen for yeah. Tokyo Drift. But this one, like, that's no, like, no, you can't argue that See You Again should have been nominated for best yeah. original song. So that's the sorry. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not listening to anything there. <laughs> um, I can, we could go on for a long time about that, but p- point made. Um, next up, biggest heat check. What do you, what do you think? I love a good heat check. So where, where are you, where's your eye at? I, I'm, it has to be Kurt Russell who like gets to swan in mid franchise and is just like the coolest dude full of secrets. Uh, and yet also so into Dom's team, like such a fan of them. Also, it's like he plays it perfectly where he's sort of above the chaos, but also like very much someone who is like, involved with these people really respects them it's an interesting thing and of course like this movie comes out the same year i believe as winter soldier so he is like this juxtaposition of course like nick fury in the marvel movies basically um and that's how i think of him every he's just the guy who knows what's going on and it i think it has to be kurt russell he is he is basically the white Nick Fury. Like yeah. that's real that's really where we've landed with kurt russell especially like as we move forward in this franchise which hey like I, Nick Fury is obviously a great character, right? So, like, trying to get your own Nick Fury, and especially <laughs> yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna cast Kurt Russell, like, that's hard for us to say no to. Like, we mm-hmm. I get what you're doing there, um, and Kurt Russell's so. I mean, I feel like he didn't come up at all in either of the interviews, really. But like, Kurt Russell in Furious Seven is, is so good. Like, I just yeah. love everything that he does, and he's. I mean, he's Kurt Russell, but like, he walks in. And this is true, like, and we'll talk about this on the Fate of the Furious episode. He, like Charlize Theron, he walks in and he knows exactly what movie he's in. Mm-hmm. That's not the case for everybody in these types of films. But, like, he knew. So, like, yeah, I totally, I think just introducing Kurt Russell basically as the white Nick, Nick Fury is the heat check of Furious 7. And I'm all here for it. So, yeah, uh, yeah. keep keep giving us more uh, Mr. Nobody. Maybe yeah. a little less little nobody, but definitely more <laughs> yeah, big, yeah. big nobody. I uh, like, uh, I like when a character or when an actor, you can just tell they're having a great time. And I feel like every time Kurt Russell's on the screen in any of these movies, like you can tell he's having the time of his life. <laughs> and it's, yeah, wonderful. I like to imagine he goes home and is like, Goldie, guess what? Guess what I did today? I, <laughs> I had a Corona. Uh, with Vin Diesel and just talked about family. Uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he was really curious about our family and how, how Kate and uh, Oliver were doing and Wyatt. Right. So I like to imagine that that's uh, what happens when Kurt's done for the day over at Fast. <laughs> um, but next up, we have the why is this person in the movie? 
right? We're not offended that they're in the movie. It's just, we're kind of like, whoa, what? why? What? Who decided <laughs> this? What's going on? Um, this one, we got a lot of contenders, right? There, there's, a, there's a few people where, I, where we could sit there and be like, wait, wh- why? What, what's, what's going on here? Yeah, I think, um, two, well, the most hyped at the time was Iggy Azalea. Everybody yeah. knew she had a cameo in the movie. And then it's literally like two lines and you never see her again. Why did it happen? Who asked her to be there? Who knows? It's What's not up, even- ghost girl? What's up, ghost girl? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> so there's that one. Uh, kind of a little more of a subtle one is T-Pain, who's like a DJ at the party in uh, Abu Dhabi and... Out of nowhere, never commented upon, not even treated as if he's T-Pain in the movie. He's just there. (laughs) He's just there. And that one he did talk about. He said that basically he at the time was hanging out with Tyrese and Vin Diesel a lot. And they were like, hey, do you want to get in on this? And he was like, yeah, sure. So why not? He ends up in the movie. That's how that came together. Cool. Didn't have to happen. But but who's going to turn that down? If anyone asked me if I wanted a cameo, I would <laughs> in the fast movies. Um, but probably the most surprising, and I think it's because we have obviously Jason Statham's character set up as kind of the big bad revenge plot, is getting uh, Jaiman Hansu in the movie as well, who's like the secondary villain almost. But this dude has been nominated for awards, <laughs> you know, like an actual Oscar nominee. <laughs> Yeah, we don't uh we didn't need to argue to get him an Oscar for fast cuz he or he already had the nomination uh for back for Blood Diamond. Yeah, it's just I mean, obviously we're not going to complain about having him in the movie, but it's is kind of weird like you said like Statham's the main bad guy and you know Hansu's kind of there as uh his Jaconde character doesn't really we don't really have much context for him or really like get any actual like in-depth you know, mm-hmm. explanation about his character. He's just kind of like some mercenary bad guy who like, you know, ends up getting killed uh, on this uh, aerial attack in Los Angeles. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, happy to have him. We'll, any any uh, Oscar winners, we'll take him in, in fast, but uh, just helps the brand. But yeah, the kind of a, an interesting uh, that he was in there and just kind of just there, really. Yeah. Um, next up, the holy shit moment of the week. And I feel like we could go with a lot of them. So I'll give, I'll give you a few options here. I mean, we've talked so much about the ending, so we don't have to really dive, you know, further into that. But I mean, that's kind of, you sit there and you're like, wow, holy, like they really did it. Like they, mm-hmm. they pulled that off. Um, you have the jump in, in, in Abu Dhabi, which I feel Insane. like, you know, yeah, I was talking to our colleague, uh, Darren Franch and he reminded me that I believe in the trailer, they showed them jumping from one of the buildings, the skyscrapers to the second one. So you're like, okay, you kind of know that's coming, but they didn't mm-hmm. show you, and you then you see in the movie that no, it's not just the one. They're going yeah. to a third skyscraper, and you're just like, oh my god, like how are you, like really? Well, okay, this is still, and we're just still reeling from flying cars like uh, 20 right. minutes earlier, and now we're <laughs> we're essentially kind of flying cars again from skyscraper to skyscraper, and then the third one for me was uh was Brian running up that set like semi truck mm-hmm. as as it was about to go over the cliff. Because again, remember going into this movie, and as long as you didn't like read spoilers or anything, you don't know. You're like, what are they going to do with with this Brian character? Like, how are they going to say goodbye to him? Like, how are they going to write him out? Um, you're like, could they could they kill the character? Like, could that could that possibly happen? And then, so any scene, you're sitting there like watching him. This truck he's trying to get off of is falling off of a cliff, and then he's just running and barely jumps off just in time. You kind of just fall back in your seat and like kind of like oh my god whew, like it's like a sigh of relief like oh my gosh i'm, I'm so glad that wasn't that yeah. wasn't it um yeah. 
So I don't know. What do you what do you think? I, I it's even with that scene too, like I feel like the script sort of inadvertently nods to it because you just have that moment after where uh Letty's like, You good or like you okay or whatever she says. <laughs> and it's like, yes, we're all taking a moment to breathe that Ryan <laughs> did not die. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um yeah, there is uh there's a lot to choose from, but I feel like you can't you can't top the ending. Like it's so getting to that point feels like such a relief that Brian has lived, like after spending a whole movie, like worrying what's going to happen to him. And, and then it's so emotional and so perfect. And everybody gets that like beautiful close up. And then we get obviously the, the close up car shots between Dom and Brian. Like, how do you choose anything else, but this super both lighthearted and yet crazy emotional ending? Yeah, no, I think, I think you're dead on there. Now, speaking of the final sequence, like obviously that's kind of was pretty dramatic and, you know, uh, for a lot of reasons. But then there's a lot of uh, dramatic moments throughout this movie. So I feel like we needed a special, you know, category this week for the best remo- dramatic moment that isn't the mm-hmm. final sequence. So um, w- what do you think? What what comes to mind? Because there, there's a lot to, to choose from, I think, in this one, which is surprising. Like, you know, for most fast movies, we wouldn't be like, you know, talking all about these big, dramatic, emotional beats. Yeah. Yeah, I think the one that always comes to mind is that big uh, Letty speech, basically, where everybody thinks the Dom might die. Um, and she, everything she says is so touching in a way that I don't think we really get to have from the Letty character in the series previously. And then for this big revelation that they are married, like that I always think of, like quite a dramatic moment. And as Michelle talked about, like she's down for action and stuff. It's like sort of the the big, like emotional romantic beats that don't come as naturally to her. But she sells it. It's a great emotional moment. Um, I think Mia and Brian's last the phone call where Brian's like not sure he'll survive. Harrowing both for their relationship, but again for the audience. That's another one. Um, there there are a bunch. What sticks out to you? I mean, I think it's the there's also the Letty at the grave sequence. Mm-hmm. And we talked a bit about that with Michelle. But I think to me it really is the Mia and Brian phone call. And it's just like, man, that's the things that you can't even plan for. Like, yeah. like that was something that they already had written in the script. I don't know. I know Paul had filmed his side of it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if Jordana had already filmed her side, you know, before, you know, Paul's passing. But, um, man, you're just sitting there at the theater and you're kind of like, how did they, how did they know to have this scene? Cause it mm-hmm. does really, like, if we wouldn't have gotten that scene and that final moment, between Brian and Mia because I can't I'm I'm not going to really count the beach for them because it's like you know they're kind of far off you know we don't get to actually hear them say anything to each other but just to and to have that phone call and have them tie it all the way back to the beginning of this franchise and this relationship like the reference to the tuna sandwich yeah and how and how bad it was like gets me every time it's both it both makes me laugh but then also just like makes me very sad at the same time um, so I, I mean, that's, that's the one that gets me. And obviously a lot of that is just the real life, you know, circumstances, you know, behind it, but that would probably be the one, even though there's a lot to pick from that I, that I would go to. Yeah. I think that's a, a great choice. It's, it ends up sort of, even though obviously he survives, like it just sort of ties up emotionally a lot of things you sort of need to be able to say goodbye to the character and Thank goodness he does not die narratively, but but yeah, it sort of it feels kind of cathartic in a way as well. Yeah. You know the best decision I ever made was stepping into the store and buying that first sandwich. 
<laughs> it was such a bad sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I ate a lot of them. <laughs> uh, I love you, Mia. Don't do that. What? The way you said it, it's like goodbye. Say something else. Okay, kiss Jack for me. And as always, we'll wrap up uh, with our last category, which is winnings winning. So who was the ultimate winner of Furious 7? And I think that's probably, the, I mean, I, I would bet you would agree with me. This is the toughest one we've ever had in terms of picking a winner. Because for me, it's hard to say anyone won here, you know, just with such a tragedy involved. And like this movie will forever, like that's what you're going to think of when you think of Furious 7. Like, you mm -hmm. know, Paul's passing. And, you know, what they did there at the end to send him off. Um, so, yeah, this, we, I mean, we should note this movie was the highest grossing fast film still. Like, this movie made $1.5 billion. I believe it was the best reviewed fast film. Um, so there's so much obviously going for it in that regard. And obviously people won in a way, but I don't know. I guess for me, if we're saying someone quote unquote won is just, I would pick again, almost going back to what we did with, with who earned our respect. Just everyone involved in the fact that they, they won by finishing this and achieving such a proper and earned and incredible goodbye to, you know, a beloved friend of theirs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you're, you're right on with that. It's, it took so much for everyone to be able to come back, even though they were still grieving, but they wanted to pay tribute to Paul and this, this franchise, he was, you know, Vin talked to us about it all the way back when we were talking about the first movie. It's like he was always the one that was like pushing it, like the biggest fan of the franchise and what it meant to people and the impact that it could have. And always saying like the next, the great one is the next one in the can. Like, so uh, they felt, you know, you couldn't just let it go, even though it's really difficult. And they were able to both create a movie that I think does just honors him so perfectly, but also um, is such a gift to fans too. And they, how, how, how do you say anything else other than they all win for being able to come together and create this thing that feels just sort of eternally good uh, in, in what it turned out to be. Yeah. I remember talking to uh, Neil Moritz, kind of the, been one of the, he's been a producer since day one on these films. And we were talking for the, the fast one oral history that's, you know, up that went up on EW.com. And he was saying for, for seven, you know, for that first test screening, they were all super nervous. They're like, you know, what are people going to think? Are they going to, you know, be able to spot, you know, oh, hey, that's not Paul. That's not Paul. You know, that's, you know, special effects, whatever. And he said what he was blown away from. He said, you know, some kids actually came up to him afterwards and just thanked him. Wow. You know, for, for, and he said, he's like, what I didn't realize, like, I knew we needed this, mm -hmm. like for ourselves. But he's like, I didn't realize that, like, the fans needed that closure, too. Um, and, you know, so... I guess we all won for getting some closure in in an impossible situation. So mm -hmm. that's really, I feel like the the proper uh, winner there, and obviously, and also the proper way to to wrap up this special two part episode. Um, yeah. I, again, you know, go listen to our uh, our Michelle interview uh, over on the Binge Fast Saga feed, where you can find all of the other episodes. And, and thanks to uh, to both Michelle and Tyrese for joining us, and, and as we've said, kind of just opening up and really going through the whole history, you know, the good and the, and the bad. Um, but, uh, you know, like Brian O'Connor, we hope we earned your respect today and that you keep listening to EW's Binge of the Fast Saga. When next week we're joined by 
Ramsey. Yes, Natalie yes. Emmanuel. Um, she, she made her, her debut in this film, Furious 7, and she's on next week to talk, uh, the fate of the Furious and a whole lot more. Um, you know, we're, man, we're, once we have that episode, we're only a week out from F9, Chanel. Like it's, this has been a long, a long road and I'm, I'm getting kind of sad as we're getting towards the end. Like obviously we're excited for F9 to be out. But we're also, you know, sad yeah. that this, you know, binge road will be coming to an end. It's right? like a little bittersweet now. Like I'm, I feel so lucky still that we've gotten to do this podcast, and I'm so hyped for F9. Um, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be unfortunate that we have to say goodbye and, until, of course, uh, ten and eleven come out and we do special <laughs> episodes. <laughs> I, I like the way you're thinking. I like the way you're thinking. And spe- speaking of special episodes, be ready. We're gonna, we'll have multiple F9 episodes too. So, so be ready. Like we'll just because this film is gonna be uh, pretty new. Like we're. Still digging deep so yeah so t- stay tuned for that in the meantime please subscribe and listen along every week wherever you get your podcasts rate us tell us what you think share it with your friends and family you can find us on twitter at Derek j lawrence or me at chanel berlin also head to ew.com for complete coverage of the fast saga and full episode transcripts this episode was hosted and produced by Derek lawrence and chanel berlin johnson produced edited and mixed by sammy junio and executive produced by Carly Usden and Shana Naomi Krokmom. Thanks for listening, and until next time, salute me podcast familia.